And tonight we're going to finish John 19. And so hopefully you have your scripture notebooks with you. If you do not, um, please have a piece of paper out and take notes. We will have the scripture on the slide tonight. As you already know, is a group study. That's why we're in our small groups. And um, we have Mr. Hantak, who is going to facilitate our discussion tonight. So, if you would please welcome Mr. Hantak up to the stage. Check. Well, howdy, everybody. I say this in, before every message I give. Uh, normally, the name Mr. Hantak is associated with the school building from about 8 to 3.30 and 45, 50 minutes at a time. Uh, for those who aren't in high school, hey, you'll eventually get me, whether that makes you happy or sad. Too bad. The um, thing I want to say, though, is I, and I say this before kind of every hype message, this is, n- preaching isn't the reason I got into teaching, but I always kind of say preaching and teaching are pretty close to one another. Um, I, I got my degree in, in teaching to obviously like, you know, because I, I enjoy students, I enjoy um, getting to shepherd the next generation into adulthood, but part of me being a teacher is definitely my faith. Um, those two things aren't separate for me. And when you get me at the high school, yeah, I'll teach a science, chemistry. We might blow something up in class. You never know. Really? Uh, no, it is fun if you do it safely. Um, but like a bigger, bigger part, a bigger part of my heart with um, who I am as a teacher is stuff like this. Um, and get, just getting to show you guys like my heart and, and my faith. And um, I, I kind of find, find it funny this year. Ken's given me two really radical messages from John. He gave me John 3.16, um, and then more, the verses around that, not just that verse. And then he gave me um, John 19.14, or uh, John 19.16-42, which is Christ being crucified, Christ dying. And no, this isn't the Easter message of his resurrection and, and hallelujah, um, he's, he's alive. This is the Jesus is, is dying. Um, and, and something about this I, I kind of said is there's a, there's a heaviness uh, with, with these verses and his, literally his final breath. Um, if you were at church this morning, uh, what we're talking about in Luke and, and John are kind of coinciding, which actually kind of fits with um, something I'm going to do tonight. I'll, I'll give you a little preview for it, but I'm not going to uh, say the whole thing yet. But for John 19... There's a heaviness that exists in this uh, because of the, the anguish that, that Christ is going through and just what the crucifixion actually means. And the crucifixion alone, not, not the, the uh, reconciliation after that of him, of him being resurrected, um, literally just honing in on him dying, his final, his final breath, and kind of what that means. Um, so you guys will be reading, obviously, through John's perspective as we've, we've read but I'm going to do something later that's going to be a little bit more of a full perspective of Christ's crucifixion and what the cross actually means. We'll do something with this later. Uh, in light of a video, maybe some video issues, we'll kind of skip over that for now. But I was going to start with, with a video that was this. Um, if you think about movies, generally how a movie goes is that there's a, there's a perspective of multiple characters and time passing through a movie. Now, that's just the still image from the trailer, like I said. Uh, in light of how technology's been going, I think, nah, I'll, I'll just explain it. I'll just explain it. There's a movie that came out in 2008 called Vantage Point. Now, Vantage Point is shot in a totally different way than other movies. Uh, you may have seen, I'm, I won't spoil too much. I don't honestly remember the full plot, but I, I want to explain the, the main, this main thing here. Can I keep, can I keep talking? Guys, 
Can I keep talking? Like I said, there's going to be a heaviness with tonight, and I, and I don't want to, 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 to nip on, like, the, fun, the funness of hype, but, like, I don't want you to lose sight of how heavy tonight's message is going to be, okay? This movie, Vantage Point, literally the, 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 the part of the movie that's interesting is, is from the name. There's about a 20-minute set of time where what's happening in, in this movie is that there's, the President of the United States is, is, helping, is in a country where they're signing, uh, it's like an international law, or they're working with a country to sign an international law. And in that 20-minute time frame, the president, uh, there's an assassination attempt on the president's life. And there's a perspective in this movie from eight, I believe it's eight different people. So they go over the same 20 minutes from eight different vantage points. There's the main character who's like a, a Secret Service agent, then there's the person who's like committing the crime, then there's the president, then there's this person, then there's this person, this person. And through the eight different sections, you kind of piece together, here's the full story. Not many movies are maybe shot like that. There might have been other ones, but what I kind of want to do with these verses is, is that at the end. To truly understand how heavy the cross is, we'll be looking at through four different vantage points but all through one lens eventually. You guys will read it first through John uh, in our kind of Bible study method we've had so far. If you want to go to the next slide. So just give a little reminder, kind of how we have studied the Bible so far. Observations, questions, applications. Uh, I have split the text into two sections. And like I said, I want you guys to look at the, the John perspective first. So in your own small group, you'll read the first section. And then we'll talk about it. And then we'll read the second section. And then we'll talk about it. But then I'm going to read from a broader, more inner, interlaced perspective uh, at the very end with the resource I have. Um, but one thing I, I like to point out with this, how we've studied the Bible in this, in this method, inductive, has kind of gone this. And, and you've probably heard me say this before. Be proactive in your faith and study the Bible, not reactive. I think more, most times when we think about reading the Bible, it's, we're kind of reactive to it. Like, we might pick up some verses in church. We might pick up some verses in, like, a daily devotional. Or you might see a, a verse quoted out of context or someone's on, on someone's shirt, etc. And that's kind of reading the Bible reactively. Or sometimes it's like, oh, I have a problem. Let me go read the Bible, which is a great way to do things. It, I mean, you should definitely go to Bible for knowledge and learning. But being proactive is actually studying the words, not just reading the words. So the way we've studied the Bible, has, to me, has been proactive more than anything. So I hope you've picked up on that over this whole uh, year and semester. So like I said, I want you guys to read John together. The first section, and actually it's going to be up here, John 19, 16 through 30. I want you guys to read it first. I'm, I will pick out certain parts in my notes that we'll, we'll kind of highlight but the part I'm going to read is a broader perspective at the end. So in your, in your small group, pick a person or two to read the verses. Read it once, twice, however many times. And do your observations, questions, application. And if you don't have your book in front of you, it's on the screen. All right, small groups, go ahead and make your final points. And turn if you need to. Let's come back together and share some of our thoughts from our Bible study. All right, small groups, once again, let's go ahead and come back together and share our thoughts. So, <clears throat> those are my kind of talking points. Maybe what you guys said or have is similar to mine. I'll explain mine in a second. I want to hear from you guys first. And I'll start with my own small group that Matt's taking over tonight. Thanks, Matt. Uh, high school, eighth grade boys, 
Let's start with observation. What was kind of a big observation or talking point you guys had? Max? Okay. That's, that's a good observation. I don't think I... See, I, I put the quote, it is finished. So, like, I guess kind of along the same lines. But, yeah, yeah I like that, that verb choice is he gave it up. It wasn't taken from him. He's the one who kind of controlled that. So, yeah. Uh, let's go to the, your counterparts, eighth, eighth grade and high school girls. Give me another observation. Because, obviously, this, like I said, this text is pretty, pretty heavy um, compared to... I think other parts of John as well. Okay, so kind of going back, I guess it would be a little bit before the section because it was like leading up to him be, literally being on the cross where at this point he's on the cross, but yeah, they're um, kind of for the vantage point thing I, I will get to. Um, in other gospel accounts, there is a mentioning of, okay, how did he actually get from point A to point B because Jesus was flogged, he was whipped, he was in horrible physical state oh yeah, and then take this really heavy cross however far up a hillside and then we're going to nail you to it at that point. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a slight like, you know, in a sense he did carry his cross, but then someone, yeah, in other accounts did come across and, um, or comes, uh, come aside and help him with that as well. All right, let's move on to questions. I'll go to the, uh, the fellows first. Do you guys have a question? Yeah. So, so this will tie into one of the biggest things I have in both this section and the next section. In my middle of my observations, I said, fulfillment of the scriptures left and right. So there's lots of sections. I even think it's highlighted in um, John. Let's see. Uh, so the casting of lots, finished work, I'm thirsty. Oh, no, that's in the next section. Um, yeah, so the question of, like, why does Jesus say, I am thirsty, and then kind of give him the, the sour wine? That's a good question. Yeah. Did anybody talk about that question as well, or have kind of an answer to it? You want to talk about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, so the, the aspect of Christ that's, you know, 100% God, 100% man, and that dual nature for him, in this part of his life, Christ is... It's kind of, I wouldn't say it's favoring the man part more, but for, for something I'll, I'll get into later, God is turning away right now, or, or God is, um, Christ has experienced the, the wrath, the payment of sin, uh, or the, the, yeah, the payment for our transgressions, and so the, the human side of it, like, is definitely feeling that, that pain and anguish, but then also on the other side of that too is, you know, I'm thirsty, and then He's able to say his final, final words with that, too. All right, I'll go to the sixth grade uh, girls now um, for this middle group. You can either give me another question, or if you have an application, give you a choice, either a question or an application, okay? So I, th I think part of it has to do with, like, uh, it was the Roman soldiers, right, doing that, I think? So I think part of it has to do with, like, okay, the treatment of prisoners, the treatment of people who, well, they're going to die anyway, so, like, these garments, his, his items, how do we, I wouldn't even say fairly give them out, but the, the idea of like distributing them because they're not, he's not going to need them anymore where he's going or if he's going to be left up there, so on. The next section we'll get into kind of his, his coming down from the cross and so on, but yeah, the idea. And actually, I think this is one of the parts that was highlighted um, in your book where it says, they divide my clothes among themselves, cast lots of my clothing, this is what the soldiers did. Uh, I think that's kind of one of the parts that like, is fulfilled or predicted um, way back, and I believe it's Isaiah, and I'll look at the, the cross-reference for that in a little bit. So I think it's part of the customs, but 
like that was kind of one of the things I was prophesied about of what's going to happen to our to our Savior in that aspect. All right, other half of the sixth grade girls, either another question or an application. Did you guys get to applications? All right, let's just go full circle. Give us an, ap- an observation then. Or any different observations from Pilot? Yeah. So, and what's kind of funny about that too is like, in terms of like Roman rule and like Jewish customs and rule and like what power the Jews think they have, like they kind of just go with it sort of thing. And, and you know, the Jews are the one who, who brought Christ to this point or wanted to crucify him. And then Pilate was like, yeah, he's the king of you guys. And then he's like, well, no, they're not. And he's like, I've written this. And like, okay, whatever. And you think they would be like so much more offended of that, but I think it goes to show like how under rule the Jewish culture was at that point um, from, from Rome and like, and Pilate just being like, no, this is the way it's going to be. And it's like, all right, fine, whatever. But I'll still kind of go back into the, the prophecy of all this. Um, that'll be a point in there. Now, for some of mine, uh, so I wrote the same thing. King of the Jews was definitely a big thing there. A callback to Cross Point's message, I think, last Sunday. Jesus was crucified with two other people. As we studied Luke in church, if you've come on Sunday mornings, we had that story uh, last Sunday where there's two other criminals who are also being crucified. And it highlights kind of how one is talking about Christ and how the other is talking about Christ. And uh, the one who kind of speaks first is like, you know, if you're, if you're God, if, you're, if, you, if you have God's power, like why don't you just save yourself right now? While the other one's like, do you realize kind of who you're talking to? It's like, I hope I'm in paradise with you. And then Jesus responds to the one who's like, you, surely you will be, be with me. Um, and that's, to me, that's, it's not written about in John. It just mentions that there's other people being crucified. Um, another thing, too, and this is kind of in the middle part. So, actually, yeah. Uh, the, there's a little interesting middle section here where it's Jesus' provision for his mother, uh, kind of talking about um, kind of who's going to take care of who after this. And I, what I kind of said here, even in Jesus' state, he's serving and blessing still. Now, he's serving and blessing in a much bigger sense with what the cross kind of represents, but he still is serving and blessing like Christ did through when he was walking and, and with us all the time. My questions I came up with, what are the other gospel accounts for this, as um, the eighth grade and high school girls kind of alluded to, like they mentioned some other gospels. That's kind of where I'm going to go eventually. And then how about this one? What's the current whereabouts and mental state of the disciples? So as we kind of read through John, they, Jesus comes in Palm Sunday, then they have kind of like the last ever meal. And then Jesus gets arrested. And John denied, um, you know, that he was a disciple of Jesus. And they're kind of being torn down and torn down and torn down. And now they have their, the person they followed literally dying in front of them. Now, this account doesn't really say like, oh, and this disciple is here and this disciple is here and this disciple is here. But basically, the person they put all their eggs in, a, in one basket for is dying. And from, from how they've talked, how they've spoken, how they've acted, they kind of don't know what's fully going on. Um, yes, they, they've been his disciples. Yes, they followed, and, and closely at that matter. Like, they, they've helped, you know, do miraculous things and, and really show what Jesus is all about. But they themselves would have to be in anguish right now or just completely at a loss for what's, what's happening because... They don't know what's to come in John 20. So kind of the idea of like what's going on with the other disciples too, because for me, here's one of my biggest like observations I had too. 
what Jesus is going through right now is mental, physical, and spiritual anguish. It's, it's more than just pain. It's, it's more than just heartbreak. When I think of the word anguish, I think of like every negative thing you could imagine mixed into one kind of perfect, perfect soup of just badness, so to speak. Physically, Christ is being suffocated. That's, that's how a, a crucifixion ultimately kills you. Mentally, the people who, who followed him are kind of here, not here, or we don't get a ton of count of that. And then spiritually, what the cross, what the crucifixion actually is, is atonement for our sin. Our sin has a price, and if God's going to be God, if God's going to judge correctly, things don't just get wiped clean. There has to be a price that's paid. And Christ is experiencing that right now for us, where God is turning away. And from something I'll read kind of later, and I'll highlight this more, Jesus is experiencing spiritual anguish way more than he ever had. And if you go back to even further in John, when Jesus mentioned, can you take this cup away from me? Because he knows what he's being led to. He then says the part, says the part of, but if your will be done... He'll accept the cup. And this is him accepting the cup. But part of accepting that cup is, God, is him paying for all of our sin, God's wrath happening, where he's not being saved. Because this is the price for it in the end. Uh, the thing about the, um, the sour wine, too, I, I kind of put this. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, adding insult to injury before? Adding insult to injury Basically picture it this way. If you get hurt, you, you break a bone, you stub your toe, etc., and then have somebody come beside you and insult you, make fun of you, that's kind of adding insult to injury. The way Jesus is being treated on the cross with like the sour wine, like him being thirsty, he didn't give him something fresh to drink. That's kind of one of the highlights of how he's being insulted as he's hanging there to die. So not only is he, is he in a spiritual sense, taking all our sin for us, he's continuing to take the sin of those around him as he's hanging there as well. There's a heaviness to, to these verses. And my applications for it is what does the cross mean to you and kind of what should it stand for because it's a symbol we see pretty consistently. And I think it's easiest for us to gloss over or skip to the end of but Christ resurrected. Yes, that's absolutely 100% the case. And yes, that's absolutely 100% what we can rest our faith in is that he defeated death. But we, we, to actually look at the heaviness of, of Christ's life and him being on the cross is something we just can't skip over or skip to the Easter message for. And that's why I think kind of this first section highlights a little bit. Next section will be 31 through 42. This is the last little bit. Like, it should go a little bit quicker, I believe, although it might, you might have some different observations uh, and things with it. Uh, take about... Mm, seven-ish minutes maybe for this one. Sorry if that's a little bit shorter of time. Uh, but I want to have time to do kind of one major thing uh, at the end while we're doing an activity. So about seven-ish minutes to, to read and observe, question, and apply. All right, small groups, go ahead and finish up your discussion and turn toward me or we'll move on to our last set of observations, questions, and applications. Alrighty, small groups, for this last little discussion time, 
we're going to do something a little bit different, not just for the sake of saving time, but also for the sake of something you guys are going to do on this whiteboard with this cross. This last section, obviously, Christ has been crucified at this point. He, he's spoken the words, it is finished. So what is this section kind of about? Now, for me, I want you to hold on to whatever you guys talked about, your observations, questions, applications. Hold on to them for now, because I think you're going to take what you talked about in the previous section and this section and do something with this whiteboard in a second. Here are kind of my observations. More scripture gets fulfilled in this section. Jesus says it is finished. The crucifixion is done. He, he, has, he has died. So what's this section kind of, kind of about then? Well, it's, there's some more things happening about, okay, what's, it's kind of like what to do with the body. The mentions uh, in one part, I have it underlined in, uh, let's see, 35. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe his testimony is true and he knows is telling the truth for these things happen so that the scripture would be filled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look into the one they pierced and that kind of highlighting the, the Roman guard who pierced him. But also, too, there's a firsthand testimony being recorded, which the whole Bible, in, in one aspect, is a historical document. It's a, it's, a, it's a primary source of, here's things that have happened, you know, long, long ago. And a lot of people like to, not like nitpick how the Bible is as a story, like, oh, there's so many authors and so many years and there's so many translations and there's so many and so many and so many. So they like to say, like, oh, th- doesn't that remove the validity of how good the, this, this resource is. If, if this is the Word of God, hasn't it kind of gone through the ringer and strainer so many times with all the translations and all the authors and so on? Well, for here, firsthand testimony is being recorded because for what's about to happen with the resurrection, that's a pretty supernatural, crazy thing that's about to happen. Someone's about to be raised from the dead. So what's the deal with, well, why, why say these specific verses about Scripture being fulfilled and testimony being recorded? Well, to kind of help give proof for someone who would not believe that someone raised from the dead, that yes, these things have happened. That, that Roman guard, the, the, the writing of John, the writing of the Gospels, it's not the hundreds of thousands of years that people like to think. Really, the Gospels, so this is about 30 AD, the Gospels actually began to be written about 30 years after this, correct? That 30 year span of time is enough time for someone like a Roman guard to still be alive to then record testimony for about his role, what happened, what he literally saw. So in a way, if you think about this like a, a criminal investigation report, this is the, we have evidence of that this happened. And this isn't the only part in, in the Gospels where something like this is written, but that's super important about who's doing what, why is this happening, and then, once again, the fulfillment of Scriptures, because for what's about to happen in 20, the empty tomb, the lead-up to this, it's really important that this is kind of being written in this perspective of this is first-hand testimony that's truthful. Because for the person who's maybe not a Christian, he's like, well, of course the, the Word of God's going to be truth, because, or you're, you're going to say the Word of God is true because you believe God is true. Well, even if someone argues that fact, this is testimony of someone who was there and the Gospels were written about 30 years after this all happened. That's still within the, the time frame of legit kind of firsthand primary sources um, and, you know, being referenced, so to speak. Also, another thing observation I had, Nicodemus. That's a character we've, we've read about, uh, kind of a, a, um, a Pharisee that 
interacted with Jesus a lot, and in a way, it, does this show some heart change for him? Does this show almost like a repentance for him? Because he just saw someone he had a lot of good conversations with die, and it must have been pretty special for even Nicodemus to go do something that would be greatly frowned upon if the other uh, Pharisees knew he was kind of doing this. Some questions, similar ones I had earlier. What are the other gospel accounts for this? What was the mental state or whereabouts of the disciples? And then also, maybe the most important one, why is the crucifixion important? Why is the death, and not, not just, not just a, a, a sacrifice of, of Jesus being Jesus, but why is the death through crucifixion important? Let me put it this way. Jesus is dying for more than just because he loves you. He absolutely does. He did die because he loves you, but it's more than just because he loves you. Jesus is dying more than just being a martyr, someone who, who's, who's passionate about a cause and is willing to die for it. He, he, he's, he's a bigger figure than, than just those two things. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus' death is to take on the wrath of God for us, is to take on how God views sin, how God views our transgressions. Jesus' death on a cross, that grotesque, that anguish that I mentioned earlier, was for a reason. There's so many ways God could have gone about it, and yet this is the one that was ultimately ordained. This is the one that was ultimately prophesied about back in the Old Testament, of this is how God will show his love. For the forsaking of, of Christ, but for our gain. And what's kind of a response to that? Like, how can I live my life differently because of what Jesus' death was? And, and the death part, we know we get the resurrection part in a chapter. <laughs> but what does this part mean to you? Because there's an uncomfortableness with it. There's a heaviness with it that, if we're being honest with ourselves, we, we don't like to focus on. And we don't need to focus on necessarily because we know that Christ defeated, or Christ won, excuse me, um, and defeated death, but... This is a part we just can't gloss over, and this is my kind of application. We have to tell ourselves the gospel daily. You've probably heard me say that before and can say that before, but it's all parts of the gospel, and this is one of them, the weight of our sin, the, the price of our sin. And no, I, I'm, I'm not going to show you the, um, I think a lot, when a, I've heard a lot of people talk about the crucifixion of Christ. They like to show a part of the passion, um, the movie The Passion, or a still image from it of Christ on the cross, and how, yes, that's a very... Uh, painful image to see. And, you know, I could have gone that route, but I really, mentally, I, I want you to kind of stay with that. Is Christ on the cross, how do we need to see it, and how can we remind ourselves of that fact that our, our sin had a price? How can we reconcile with the weight of our sin in that, in that light, ultimately? That middle, the very first question I had there, where are the other Gospels account for this? I've hinted at this the last slide. I hinted at it at the very beginning. The, the idea of a vantage point, or that movie I, I reference, if there's one, excuse me, not one part of the Bible that's most important, but there's one kind of story in the Bible that it's important for all the details. I mean, it's definitely the gospel accounts, but also Christ's lead up to what is happening here. So, Kent, you want to go to the next slide? Kind of two things we'll be having one just to save a little bit of time. I have a resource that was given to me when I was an intern at YFC Peoria. It's called The Merged Gospel. It's one of the coolest resource books I ever showed, I've ever received and, and gotten to study from. And actually, I showed Kent 
and he didn't know what it was, and he wasn't even impressed with it, so I was happy I had this, and <laughs> he didn't. But anyway, the Merge Gospel, exactly what it sounds like, it's all four gospel stories, all four gospel books, merge into one. There's 300 gospel stories written here, where there's one set of texts, but on the other side, it cross-references the Luke, the Mark, the Matthew, the John. Now, not every story written has all four books in it, but I've picked out basically our section here, the, the John section that we just read, that I want to read, and I'm not going to say what the Luke reference, what the Mark reference is going to be, but you're going to hear some more details about the cross and Christ crucified that John by himself didn't have. John had certain, certain parts that the other ones didn't, didn't have the full details for, but I basically want to tell you the story one more time. Now that this is us going to bed, and here's a, your bedtime story, this would be kind of a not too happy bedtime story if this is actually how I want to do it but as I read these words here's what I want you to consider and this is what's the activity fill in the cross with all that your small group talked about fill in the cross outline on the whiteboard to represent what the cross means to you and for all Christians basically what I'm looking for is this and you can kind of see that image as a template give me two or three words or phrases that the cross should mean to you or to to all Christians if we're actually going to view it accurately so think kind of individually. You guys can, can kind of quietly talk, but I'm going to read basically the entire gospel account of the crucifixion in this section we've had here. So you guys can kind of quietly talk as I'm reading, but obviously like, you know, be mindful of, of the words I'm saying in, in that. Either when I'm done or in the middle of it, send one person, maybe with some good penmanship, to grab a marker and fill in those two or three words or phrases that you came up with, Okay. Now, if you don't want to discuss right now, if you just want to think mentally or by yourself first, that's fine. You want to write them later. I'm going to pray over what we uh, put here, and then we'll close out our time together, okay? So once again, I'm going to read the Merge Gospel, number 279. That's the story number, the crucifixion. You're going to hear details that are really going to paint, I think, more of a picture for this. And when they had come, they brought him to the place, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, which translated the place of the skull. There they crucified him. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they tried to give him wine to drink, mixed with gall and mixed with myrrh. But after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. He did not take it. And when they had crucified Jesus, the soldiers therefore divided up his garments and made four parts among themselves, a part for every soldier, casting lots for them to decide what each should take, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. Therefore they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it will be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, and sitting down they began to keep watch over him there. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and it was at that time they crucified two other men with him, Thieves, criminals, one there on his right and one there on his left, and Jesus in between. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Story 280, Jesus on the cross. And when the people stood by looking on, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, even the rulers, the chief priests, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and sneering at him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let him, himself, let him 
save himself. If this is the Christ of God, the King of Israel, his chosen one, let him now come down from the cross so that we might see and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes, if he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And they were saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And the soldiers also mocked him and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the thieves also, those who had been crucified with him, were casting the same insults at him. And there was an inspection or inscription, Pilate also wrote, and they put the charge against him above his head on the cross. And, and it was written, this is Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place uh, where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Before I read the next section, what I was saying about insult to injury, other gospel accounts talk about that, of Christ being mocked, of if you are God, if you are his son, save yourself. But he couldn't do that to actually fulfill the payment of our sin. Reading on 281, the repentant thief. And the one of the criminals who was hanged was speaking evil of him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And the other answered and was rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, that you are in the same judgment? And indeed, for things worthy of what we did, we received the reward of our deeds. But this one did nothing out of place. And he said to Jesus, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 282, the woman at the cross. And all of his acquaintances, and there were many women were standing, looking on from a distance beside the cross of Jesus, seeing these things. And when he, and when he was in Galilee, they also used uh, to follow him and ministered to him, and ministered to him. And there were many other women who came up and accompanied Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem among whom were his mother and his mother's sisters, also Mary Magdalene, along with uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, um, the mother of James, and Les, uh, the Les and Joseph, and Salome, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Therefore, when Jesus saw his mother and his disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Story 283, the death of Jesus, the first earthquake. And when, and it was now about the sixth hour, the darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out uh, with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakpatani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, this man is calling for Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing all these things have, has, had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. Now a jar full of sour wine was standing there, and so immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge, they filled it and with some sour wine. They came up to him, bringing it to him, and put it on a reed, a branch of hyssop, and brought it to his mouth and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him and take him down. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath and gave up his spirit. 
And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he cried out and breathed his last and saw what had happened. He began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And those who were, who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when he saw the earthquake and the, sun, and the things that were happening became very frightened. Both he and they said, truly this man was the son of God. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle, spectacle when they observed what happened, returned beating their chests. 284, Jesus sighed his pierce. Because it was preparation day, this, that is the day before the Sabbath, so that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was the high day. Therefore the, therefore, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be, might be broken, that they might be taken away. Therefore, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when he saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came, blood, there came out blood and water. And he who also seen, has seen the, the more witness, and his witness is true. And he, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you might also believe. For these things came to pass, and the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of his was broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look uh, on him who they pierced. Last little section, burial of Jesus, 285. And after these things, when evening had already come, behold, there came a rich man named Joseph from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was a prominent member of the council, a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their plan of action, who himself had also been a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, who also himself was wanting for the kingdom of God. But this man gathered up courage and went to Pilate and asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if, if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, Pilate granted permission of the corpse to Joseph. Then Pilate ordered the body to be given over to him. Therefore he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus also came, who had first come to Jesus by night, mixing, uh, bringing a mixture of myrrh and uh, aloes, about 100 pounds weight. And so Joseph brought, uh, bought a linen cloth, and they took the body of Jesus down and wrapped him in clean linen cloth with the spices, as, uh, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there in, his, in Joseph's own new tomb, where no one had ever been lain, which he had, um, had hone, or hewn excuse me, into the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And it was, it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And, also the women, and the women also who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb. Mary Magdalene was, was there, and, and the other Mary, the mother of Joseph, looking on, sitting opposite the grave, and saw where, where and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath, day, on, on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. I'll end our time by praying over uh, what things you guys wrote on what the cross means, and I pray ultimately that this is what, how we view the cross, uh, and how it's something that when you look upon it, it's not just a token. It's not just a symbol of, of our Christianity. It's not just a symbol of our faith. It's a reminder of what our sin means. And Christ isn't on the cross anymore.
that he is resurrected. He, is, he did defeat death. He did defeat sin for us. And you see at the right hand of the Father. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time and hype. Lord, I thank you for um, black lights and dodgeball and um, just all the, uh, the, the great fun things you, you blessed us with here. Lord, I pray um, in this Easter season, God, that we, we don't just skip to the resurrection. We don't just skip to um, the, the joy that comes. Yes, Lord, we know we, we, we have that comfort. We have that assurance um, in, in Christ and his resurrection and defeating of, defeating of death. But Lord, let us uh, dwell, let us remind ourselves of the weight of our sin and what it took um, for that sin to be atoned for. God, it took a, a, a sacrificial lamb, one who did not deserve it, one who wasn't even close of deserving it, and your son to be sacrificed, to be forsaken, as, as the words um, were written, as, as Christ cried out in anguish, spiritual anguish. This is probably the first time is not connected to you, um, for that was the price of our sin. <coughs> but God, this is what um, the cross was for us. It was a sacrificial lamb for us. And God, I pray that it's, it's more than just a symbol of our faith, but Lord, something we can hold fast to. As I read up here, that it's a sacrifice, that you save us, that it's freedom, it's salvation, it's love, it's forgiveness, it's eternal life, it's healing, it's hope, it's dedication to you. It's a gift of life from death. It's, it's faith. It's love again. And ultimately, as I read for maybe the fifth time up here, it is salvation. For God, we know that there's no other way to salvation through our own works. If we try to account for our, atone for our own sin, it will certainly lead to death. But God, you've already paid that death. You've already paid that price for us. And God, we are eternally grateful for that. And Lord, I pray that we just hold it fast to our hearts and and know that there's, there's hope in your Son and your resurrection that is to come. God, we love you so much and praise all in your name. Amen.